Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guests today are Harold Schechter and Eric Powell. They are the authors of Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done?, which is published by our friends at Albatross Funny Books. Harold, Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for inviting us. By the way, before we get started, um, uh, even though it looks as though his name should be pronounced Gein, it's actually pronounced Gein. Yeah, Gein. Good. I'm glad you said that because I looked up the pronunciation uh, online beforehand and they had it as Gein. So I yeah. will say Gein uh, going forward. Thank you so much for that. Um, well, it's an honor to have both of you here. And um, the first thing I, w- I wanted to talk about are a couple of names that jumped out to me uh, in your thanks at the beginning of the book. And those names are David Fincher and Mike Mignola. Uh, why David Fincher and Mike Mignola? Uh, well, I had asked, uh, I'm, I'm working with David on adapting uh, The Goon um, into an animated film. We've been working on it for about 10 years now. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed it will be happening soon. Um, so I had uh, asked him uh, about uh, giving us a little blurb or something if he liked this little sample that I sent him, and, and he did. So I was just thanking him for that. And um, uh, Mignola I've known for my entire uh, career in comics, so uh, he also was very encouraging about the book. So I uh, just gave him a little thanks there. Yeah. And I think John Carpenter got a shout out, right? Actually, yes, he uh, he gave us a little uh, uh, promotional blurb as well. So, uh, oh great, he's he's a fun guy. Um, he he did some uh, programming at the last American Bookseller Association Winter Institute in Baltimore. Um, and you also shout out the city of Milwaukee. Are you Bucks fans? <laughs> I don't follow um, basketball, but uh, I, I am actually a Green Bay Packers fan because I like the idea of a town owning a pro sports sports franchise rather than uh, a billionaire. Um, so for them, I was happy, you know, happy for them that they won the championship. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Eric included the Milwaukee uh, acknowledgement, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, very was, good. Also, it was just a, you know, uh, um, just an acknowledgement of Wisconsin and, uh, yeah. you know, thanks for, um, you know, allowing us to tell a little bit of their history. Yeah. Tip of the hat to the uh, state that produced state games. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, my next question for you uh, is sort of a basic question about this project. Why? a graphic novel about Eddie Gein in 2021. Well, um, I'll, I'll let uh, Eric describe the genesis of the project, but in general, you know, Gein has remained uh, this mythic figure in American culture. The interest in him never ceases to diminish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly now with this uh, uh, true crime boom we're living through, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are constant or regular references to him when people discuss Psycho and Silence of the Lambs and so on. 
I, I personally know of several documentaries in the works uh, that at least allude to Gaines' crime. So. Mm. Uh, the book started uh, with um, uh, I was in a I was on a book tour uh, and driving through Wisconsin and going through a pretty uh, 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 you know isolated area and being well aware of of Gein, um, you know my mind just started going and and uh, the idea of telling his story through the, the isolation that he was uh, living in uh, came to me. But um, I've always been a, a big fan of Harold's uh, work and being well aware of Deviant, I thought there was nothing I could really add to that. Uh, but uh, I, I thought it could be interesting if, if I could collaborate with Harold on a, on a book since it had been a little while since he had written Deviant. I thought that he had probably uh, come across more information or had more insights into the case. And uh, so I reached out through his agent and I really didn't expect to get a response. And in which case I would have just moved on to a different project. But uh, I was very happy to find out that he was a huge comics fan and very excited about the idea of doing a graphic novel. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, moving into the content of the graphic novel here in the newspaper announcing chapter one. Uh, is that Eddie pictured there? The, the gentleman, he looks sort of like Frankenstein and I'm wondering if this is intentional or if this is me projecting. On uh, which page is that? Um, it's the newspaper. I have a PDF, so I don't have the actual book, oh, yeah. but it's the, um, the, you know, at the beginning of every chapter, there's a newspaper mm -hmm. pictured. It's uh, the one for chapter right. one, right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's, that's supposed to be him. I believe. Yeah. yeah. Great. So, um, so that is definitely, uh, me projecting Frankenstein onto Eddie there. Um, I find it, I found it very effective though. And I found that the newspapers announcing chapters was, uh, an effective piece of formatting, especially because most of the time that folks do this, um, they just put scribbles, uh, for the newspaper articles. And in here, they're actual articles. You can read them, um, which I found to be fascinating. What is behind the decision to use newspapers to announce chapters? Uh, that came up with, uh, in conversation with the, the book designer. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, he, uh, I, I had pulled some clips of, of old newspaper headlines and stuff and stuff and, and sent them over to him and thought, you know, maybe we could do something that was, you know, inspired by this stuff. And then he came up with the idea, uh, uh Phil Balsman, the book designer, he came up with the idea of, uh, actually making the chapter headings uh newspapers and he asked me to do a um a backdrop the uh, a kind of uh, uh wood flooring kind of uh backdrop and I, I i did that and then he took that and and put uh the kind of it was also his idea and i think this is really great that the newspapers stack from chapter to chapter. So there would be like one newspaper on the floor of chapter one. And then the second one would stack on top of it. So by the end of it, it's just this stack of newspapers. Yeah. And I thought it was a really great idea. And he, he did an outstanding job 
uh, designing the book. I, I think he just really, um, this is the second project we were able to work with him on and uh, couldn't be happier. Mm. Yeah, the stacking the newspaper things, you know, also really fits in with the whole atmosphere of Keene's farmhouse, you know, because mm. he was a very bizarre hoarder. Uh, and when you look at the newspaper photos, you see these stacks of old magazines and newspapers and so on. So, you know, it really works well in, in, in terms of that. Yeah, and I have to agree. The design of this book is fantastic. It looks great. Um, well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, you mentioned Psycho earlier, and um, I will talk more about Psycho after the break. But opening uh with Psycho on the movie theater marquee, uh, and for book nerds, I will have to say on Bloomsday, uh, June 16th, um, for those who are fans of James Joyce. Um, for our listeners, why contextualize uh, this story of Eddie Gein with Psycho and Alfred Hitchcock? Well, I mean, Gein was originally, you know, became very infamous, uh, you know, in the world of... Um, uh, true crime fans and, and movie fans uh, for serving as the inspiration for the character Norman Bates. You know, the author of Psycho, uh, the Pulp Har writer Robert Block, uh, who I was corresponding with at the time I wrote Deviant, uh, was living not far from Plainfield, Wisconsin at the time that the Gein story broke. So, uh, you know, it was a direct inspiration for Psycho. Um, and in fact, if you read the novel Psycho, mm -hmm. at the end, when they finally capture Norman, he talks about how all the local newspapers keep comparing him to Ed Gein. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a very, you know, he's, Gein is, is very directly involved in, you know, in, in the whole uh, making of Psycho. And, and Hitchcock... Uh, as the beginning of the uh, graphic novel shows, I mean, Herrera did this amazing job of picturing Hitchcock and taking quotes from this famous interview he did. You know, Hitchcock was aware. I don't know how much of the details he was aware of, but he knew that it was based on a real-life case. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the same thing was true Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, Toby Hooper had, had heard stories of Gein. I don't know if he had read when he was a kid this famous 1957 issue of Life magazine, which covered it. But anyway, he heard the tales of Gein when he was a kid and left a deep imprint on his imagination. Nice. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. Uh, listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Harold Schechter and Eric Powell. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. 
Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Harold Schechter and Eric Powell, authors of Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done?, which is published by our friends at Albatross Funny Books. Um, I want to step outside of the book for just a brief moment uh, and ask you a question as authors of a graphic novel. Um, Obviously, the last year and a half has been uh, crazy and a challenging time for many. Um, And just this week, uh, the CDC has announced that folks should be wearing uh, masks again um, in public spaces, whether they're vaccinated or not. And the reason I bring this up uh, is because here in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, as we sit here recording this interview on uh, July 29th. We are gearing up for a big Galaxy Con uh, downtown, which is uh, four days long. Uh, The first type event of this type that has attempted to return to our city. And I'm wondering um, if you have any opinions on how uh, conventions should be um, proceeding during this time, or if you have taken place in any... I have not uh, taken place in any, uh, we've been pretty, um, my girlfriend and I have been pretty uh, rigid in trying to <laughs> dis- stay distanced and, and be responsible and uh, just to, you know, we've both been vaccinated, but, you know, we're trying to, you know, be careful of other people and be responsible uh, citizens and human beings, I guess, but uh, uh yeah, I, I just um, Comic Con is going to try to come back. I think in uh, next next summer, mm-hmm. um, which hopefully that's uh, enough time for us to work through this thing some more. Um, I just hope that uh, more people decide to get vaccinated so we can open up more. But mm-hmm. yeah, it is what it is. We're making small steps at least. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here in New York, I mean, I actually, uh, I was a very early COVID getter. <laughs> I got COVID, I had COVID like a year ago, March. Um, you know, fortunately, it was a relatively mild case. You know, I was basically in bed for a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, been vaxxed, um, also taken a lot of precautions. New York City, where I'm at, um, had really opened up. And in my own neighborhood, uh, you know, people were walking around without masks. Now, just today, for example, I was walking around, saw a lot more masks on. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I went into the supermarket, do a little shopping, I put on a mask for the first time, you know, in a while. Mm. The masking mandates or, or recommendations are very, very confusing right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, here in New York, you have to get on the subway or whatever. You know, you always have to wear a mask. But otherwise, it's a little bit hard to know what, what's being asked of you. Um, so, yeah. But in general, certainly, uh, I wouldn't think indoor gatherings, uh, you know, large indoor gatherings of the kind that a convention would be, it would be particularly advisable now for unvaccinated, unmasked people. Yeah, I agree. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. And Harold, I'm glad you're okay. And um, and I do want to uh, 
state that everyone should be getting a vaccination. This is a health issue, not a political issue. Um, so let's return now to the book and let's return to Psycho. Um, I'm not, uh, I appreciate uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I'm not a huge Hitchcockian, which is just to say that I haven't read many works of criticism, um, et cetera, on his film. So I learned something uh, very early in this book, which is that um, during Psycho, uh, the largest point of contention as far as the public was concerned is that it is the first time a flushing toilet had been <laughs> seen on screen. Uh, why was this a big deal? Well, I don't know if it was uh, something that the public was upset about, but it was definitely a censors thing. They they mm-hmm. had to battle over whether or not he could have the toilet, in the, a flushing toilet in the uh, in the movie. But uh, yeah, it is yeah, an interesting I, point to make. Yeah, no, that was a great point that Eric made in that uh, in that opening. So, I mean, I'm a child of the 1950s. Uh, you know, Psycho came out in 61, but it's a product of the 50s. And, you know, really, when you see the movie, you know, it's all about the 50s. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard now for people to remember just the kind of um, uh, censorship that was going on then. You know, you were not allowed ever to show, for example, married couples sleeping in the same bed. Mm. So when you'd be watching I Love Lucy, for example, you know, Desi and Lucy would be in separate beds. It actually kind of warped my understanding of marital relationships for many years. Um, because when Lucy got pregnant, I was trying to figure out how come, how did that happen? And anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, uh, you know, the fact that you couldn't show, well, you couldn't use the word pregnant, mm. you know, on TV. Mm. So, I mean, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, as Eric um, portrays, uh, seeing a flushing toilet was so shocking, tells you a lot about that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, thank you for throwing that in there. It also gave, uh, it was a discussion point at our morning meeting in uh, Quail Ridge Books here yesterday. Um, I need to ask you, is the entirety of your story here based on facts? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's all based on research I did for my book, Deviant, mm-hmm. um, you know, which was based on a lot of uh, firsthand research. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent time in Plainfield um, and other places in Wisconsin, you know, interviewed people who were directly involved in the case. Uh, did a lot of um, digging in terms of uh, psychiatric documents and legal archives and newspapers so yeah it's all strictly strictly accurate and then and then eric did you know his own research which i'll let him talk a little more about you know dug up some amazing stuff Mm -hmm. yeah even in the points where we had to be creative i mean uh we have our own personal opinions about you know what was going on in in gein's mind and you know when you're creating a a narrative and you're telling the point of view that you believe uh, someone has, you know, I mean, you're always creating that, but we did it based on, um, you know, as much factual evidence as we could, could find. And um, Harold's take on uh, uh, Gein's relationship with his mother and what was actually going on there was so, um, unique and interesting and, and made a, uh, 
really great uh, seed for visuals to 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 draw from. Um, but yeah, we we heavily researched uh, this stuff, and um, uh, I found out that <laughs> very quickly the difference between writing fiction and writing uh, something. Uh, based on reality uh, because uh, uh, a lot of times I uh, found myself just going down a rabbit hole of trying to uncover some little fact or something and then realizing in an hour later that it would never make it into the book anyway. So why does it matter? <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, right. but yeah, we, um, uh, we uncovered a few little things that, uh, I don't think has have been um, mentioned in any game material before, at least none that I have seen. And mm -hmm. uh, again, like I said, uh, Harold's take on uh, games inner workings, uh, I think is really uh, a new perspective uh, that has definitely not been uh, shown before. Yeah. And, you know, there are some places where of necessity we extrapolate from the documented facts, but um, uh, at Eric's uh, very wise suggestion, uh, there's a little section of notes at the end where we indicate very clearly, you know, where uh, some of the stuff is based on speculation. Um, although, again, speculation that is rooted in uh, documented evidence. So. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And um, what a great segue talking about Eddie's mother early in the book. Um, a woman in Eddie's mother's shop is asking what a little boy, uh, in this case, it's Henry, Eddie's brother, uh, is reading a pirate story or some other sort of adventure. And Mrs. Gein replies that it is a Bible story. Her children are not allowed to read trash. Um when determining what is quote unquote trash and what is not, uh, what is the difference between a pirate story or some other sort of adventure story and say a Bible story? Well, we put that in there just to early on emphasize uh, Augusta's um, puritanical views. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I don't think anything is trash. <laughs> I take that back. There is some trash out there, but you know, I, I don't believe in censorship, uh, of, you know, books and, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think anything is considered trash in, uh, Augusta's view. So uh, it would be very uh, easy to just call anything but the Bible, uh, trash. Yeah. Of course, one thing that's interesting about the Bible is, as I'm sure we all know, I mean, it's full of incredible violence and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, and in fact, one could argue, you know, since people are always talking, this is one of the things that uh, Eric concludes at the beginning of our, of our novel, um, you know, when Hitchcock is questioned about the possible effects of psycho on, on the public. Um, mm you know, one of the books that has inspired the many, many serial killers has been the Bible. You know, mm -hmm. there've been any number of, you know, religiously fanatical psychopaths. Um, but, you know, that, that attack on trash has been going on forever. Mm -hmm. And ever since there's been 
anything, you know, like popular culture. There have been a, attacks on, you know, the movies when they began in comic book, of course, very famously in the 1950s. And as Eric points out, I mean, for somebody like Augusta, uh, you know, who really saw the entire modern world as sinful and corrupt uh, and degenerate, I mean, you know, Augusta was somebody who saw her neighbors in Plainfield and her neighbors in lacrosse, mm-hmm. you know, as being like out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, so, you know, for somebody like her, yeah, reading, um, uh, you know, reading a pulp magazine or a comic book or so on and so forth would have been uh, forbidden, which probably is one of the reasons Eddie was so attracted to them mm-hmm. later on in his life once Augusta had died. You know, uh, Eric uh, dug up. Um, you, you could see all these piles of uh, pulp detective magazines mm-hmm. uh, and the photographs of Ed Gein's shambles of a, of a house. And Eric actually managed to locate some of the actual uh, issues nice. uh, that Gein had been reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, by all accounts, they were, the family were readers. They, um, uh, read quite a bit. Uh, so I, I tried to find uh, some of the material in the house through the crime scene photos. And I, I was able to actually track down two books. The titles escaped me at the at the moment, but it was something like Dorothy Goes to Boarding School or something like that. Very like, um, you know, what today would probably be uh, material for uh, teenage girls or something. Mm. Um, and I had to wonder, was Augusta reading this or was Ed, you know, mm. <laughs> it's like, who was, who was reading this material? Um, because it puts a different, it puts a different spin on both of them. Uh, if you know who was, uh, who was attracted to those books, but, um, yeah, I was able to actually, um, find some of the pulp magazines just from the crime scene photos. Uh, uh, one was pretty difficult because the title was actually ripped off. So I had to mm-hmm. identify it by the, the cover art. Um, but I actually, again, uh, probably useless research that I spent hours on, <laughs> but uh, I was able to find it. But, and, you know, it, it just, I don't know if it did anything other than help me get uh, some perspective on what Ed was reading and uh, maybe uh, a little bit uh, help uh, shape the visual um, aspect of the book. Hey, um, let me throw a question back at you. Yeah. Um, Which is, uh, yeah, I find that question you just asked about what makes a pirate story trash kind of interesting why why did you ask that um i'm mostly um asking like how how do you even differentiate between the type of adventure in a pirate story and the type of adventure in like you know a a bible story like noah's ark or something which i guess would maybe be analogous to a pirate story in some way um i just uh you know uh, working in a bookstore, even the blurring of like what is literary fiction and genre fiction um, is always an interesting conversation. Um, so, but so nowadays, I, yeah, yeah. No, it's been, I mean, that that boundary, you know, is really yeah. dissolved. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the mere fact that we have things like graphic novels now, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know that comic book art has been raised, uh, you know, to the level of you know this legitimate artistic medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but back again, back in the day, you know, when I was growing up, there were a lot of people who did regard comic books as lowbrow trash. Um, mm-hmm. You know, without any redeeming social values. In, f- in fact, not only without redeeming social values. You know, but again, you know, as uh, Frederick Wortham's famous crusade against the comic book showed, you know, actively harmful, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to the morals and mentality of young people. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Augusta would have been a product, of, you know, of that kind of uh, attitude. And, and then for her, it was, of course, amplified by her extreme religious mm-hmm. fanaticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to follow up on that, um, why, in your opinion, is uh, religion, religious fanaticism, deeply held religious beliefs, etc., at the root of so many troubled relationships? Well, no, I think uh, fanaticism in general is <laughs> is. Uh, uh, I mean, political uh, fanaticism, religious, I mean, it's all the same. It's when you take one perspective and just uh, uh, take it too far. Mm-hmm. But Harold uh, could speak more on this as he's, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, yes, I totally agree with Eric as far as that goes. You know, I mean, the fanaticism, basically, you have this incredibly limited worldview uh, and, you know, people who don't share it are your enemies. Um, but in terms of um, going back to your question, which uh, maybe I could ask it or phrase, but I think it's a why is the Bible at the root of so many troubled relationships? Or not, not the Bible specifically, but what just religious uh, fanaticism or deeply held religious beliefs in general. Well, I don't know that deeply held religious beliefs are at the root of, you know, dysfunctional relationships. I mean, obviously, there are many, many people who share, you know, religious beliefs and, you know, could very well bind them together and so on and so forth. Um, Yeah. So, so something like, you know, the book, I mean, one of the problems with Augusta and her husband was that her husband wasn't a religious fanatic. I mean, he had his own issues, <laughs> you know, he was an abusive alcoholic, um, but he wasn't a religious fanatic. You know, probably two religious fanatics have a great relationship. You know, the problem <laughs> is, you know, everybody else, you know, around them, that's going to be where the trouble lies. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you very much. Um, I think we may have time for one more question. And that question uh, that I want to ask is um, about a scene where Eddie and his brother Henry are fishing. Um, and Henry first brings up the possibility that there may be something wrong with their mother. Um, how old is Henry in the scene? And um, outside of the scene, at what age do you think children generally uh, may realize that they're one of their parents uh, may be sick mentally. I think Henry, I mean, during that, that's kind of Henry entering into the teens. Mm -hmm. Um, So he would be questioning. Um, The, the life periods in that early 
in the early life section of the book uh, are are pretty vague as far as like nailing down actual years. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I felt like that that would be the time that he would begin to maybe um, start to realize that his home life wasn't exactly uh, <laughs> normal. And um, also uh, slipped in there the uh, one of the, you know, signs of uh, violent uh, mental illness, uh, abuse of animals um, mm, with right. Eddie mutilating the fish, um, kind of setting up the fact that Henry is questioning this and he's seeing that there's something wrong with the mother and that that something has actually passed on to Ed. So. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask my daughters when they first just figured out that (laughs) it might've been the time I tried to destroy all their, my little ponies. Um, But uh, anyway, yeah, but I'll, I'll get back to you on that. So. Right. Yeah, please do. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, gentlemen. And thank you for writing uh, this book. It is an outstanding graphic novel. We barely touched on the surface of it, of course. But for listeners who are unfamiliar with this uh, true story, I don't want to spoil anymore, as we all know that oftentimes true stories can be the most shocking of all. I have been speaking with Harold Schechter and Eric Powell, authors of Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done?, which is published by our friends at Albatross Funny Books. Harold, Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for asking us up. Once again, I would like to thank Harold Schechter and Eric Powell for joining me. Copies of Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? can be ordered www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Booking.